Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. Hello and welcome again to Max Mike Movies, the show recommended by four out of five dentists for their Patients That Chew podcasts. I'm number five. Don't listen to it. <laughs> this week we continue with our series, I Keep Meaning to Watch That. With my choice for this week, the 1987 Steven Spielberg World War II opus, Empire of the Sun. I'm one of your hosts, Vice Rear Brigadier Sergeant Admiral Commander Max Levine. And I'm hiding behind a bush where Max can't see me. Where is Mike? Good lord. Oh. Russell, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there. you gave yourself away. Dang! <laughs> Trying so hard not to be seen. <laughs> the Show. Uh, so, just quick plot summary. There's a plot? Oh, boy. Yep. Yes, which, actually, I, I just lifted off of, uh, of IMDb. Really? Uh, base, yep. Oh, come on. you got to write nope. your own plot. Why? This They sum it up very nicely. But then you're quoting, and that's illegal. Pfft, not if I cite the source. Mer. Based on J.G. Ballard's autobiographical novel, the movie tells the story of a boy, James Graham, whose privileged life is upturned by the Japanese invasion of Shanghai, December 8th, 1941. Separated from his parents, he is eventually captured and taken to Suchow confinement camp next to a captured Chinese airfield. Amidst the sickness and food shortages in the camp, Jim attempts to reconstruct his former life, all the while bringing spirit and dignity to those around him. Wow, really? Mm. I think I saw a different movie. <laughs> yeah, that that, uh, that covers it fairly well. As I say, this was directed by many Oscar time winning Steven Spielberg. Mm. This has what? he actually won? Yes, he yeah he won for Schindler's List. So that wouldn't be many. Uh, he well he won Best Picture, Best Director. I think he's won since. I don't think he has. Because mm. I was looking him up. I did I did some research mm. on old Stevie Boy. Hey, Stevie, how's it going? Yeah, what up, Steve? He got nominated a lot, yeah. but he tends not to win. He te yeah, I, the the Academy has never really forgiven him for being successful. Yeah, boy, they you hate know? that. Yeah, they do. He made movies that people, you know, wanted to see. <laughs> and, we only you know, reward films that no one likes. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, it's a classic thing. It, it, they've been trying to counter this in the Oscars in the last few years, and they don't do it. No. They 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 don't like popular movies. If if a lot of people like the movie, it almost guarantees it won't win an Oscar. Except I mean, this once. one was not this this one was nominated for six. Yep. Now, admittedly, they were all the technical ones. You know, cinematography, yeah. art direction, costume design, sound, film Boy, editing. Is that the golf clap of the Oscars or what? Yeah. Oh, yes. No. Well done. A uh, you have a, a uh, what is it? A participation trophy. There, no, know. no, no. That those are the scientific Oscars that they don't that they don't even show you or they show you a clip from. Oh. You know, best use of a three pronged plug or something like that. Most tasteful see, we, use of pink. <laughs> see, see, yeah. See, see, we don't even know what those are. But I don't know. Art direction, cinema, and costume design. Those are, well, it's, someone it, in the in the industry has to care, must care about them. Usually, if it's a period piece it wins yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it may be a science fiction film once in a while but to me those are always the well we can't give those any big yeah. awards we'll give them oh. this which is sad because so there's been some brilliant people who have won that like Edith Head who I oh, think yeah. may have won more Oscars than anybody else singularly be surprised. Ever. let's whip out some gowns and she showed up in a Columbo episode once. <laughs> That's right. As herself. As herself. With her diet. Here, let me shove these Oscars out of the way. <laughs> she did. She had tons of them. I know. I think she uses them to prop up tables. Yeah. But uh, the, the odd thing is that uh, the six nominations that uh, it got, you know who it lost to? Uh, 87, 87. Yeah. No, who? The Last Emperor. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know who won an award that year for uh, being one of the people who helped make the uh, soundtrack? No. It was so weird because most of the soundtrack was traditional Chinese music. Yeah. And this, these traditional Chinese, they're these Chinese folks. And I don't know if they were Chinese or Chinese or American, but I don't remember that. But one of them was David Byrne. Oh, oh no kidding. <laughs> yeah, of Talking oh, Heads. I it's did like, not know hey, that. Yeah, it's like, here's all these people. And David Byrne. I'm like, really? And yeah, apparently he uh, helped write the, the soundtrack to Last Emperor. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Neat. The, Neat. The movie was not a huge success, by the way. The budget was $35 million. The worldwide gross was $66 million. Is this tri uh, trivia? 
Um, well, I consider it significant, but no, let's right. uh, we'll get to that. Uh, the star Wait. it stars, of course, you know, John Malkovich, Joe Pantaleone. Well, well, let's be fair. Miranda. It doesn't star John Malkovich. Sure, it does. He's in a, he's co- in a fair it, chunk of it. It co-stars. This film yes. really rests on yeah. one pair of shoulders. This a was the, lot. the very first movie of a young Christian Bale. And, and when I say young, I mean young. <laughs> twelve. Yeah, twelve years old. He had done one thing before this. No, no. I looked this up. That is a that is a uh, common misconception. This movie came out. It was released. Before that other one, what, Miko or some such. But when he was hired for this film, he mm-hmm. had done one thing. Yeah, it hadn't come out yet, though. No, it was a TV miniseries. Oh, oh, a TV series, okay. Yes, he got he got recommended by somebody who was in it. I forget which actress was in it. It was actually, you know, it was Amy Irving, who was at the time Mrs. Spielberg. Right, and that he had he was going to do the other film, but he hadn't been, hadn't actually done that film when he was hired for this. Yeah. Um, so he was like really untried, and I think he said I, I saw an interview with him. I actually looked up his first ever TV interview. Do you know who it was with? No. I'll give you a hint. It was the dad of somebody we both went to high school with. Oh God, was it Gene Shalit? Yes, it was oh. Gene Shalit. Um, <laughs> Empire of the Sun. I call it Empire Full of Oscars. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Andy. I'm sorry, Nevin. You're, that's really is how your dad used to talk. Um, but yeah, it was his, it was Christian Bale's. He was 13 by that point. His mm. first interview on TV ever, and he was actually quite um, quite blunt. So there, were, Gene would ask things like, "So, is it really exciting to go over and film in China?" And uh, Christian Bale thinks for a second. He's like, um, "Yeah, uh, no, it was actually uh, it was it was really boring. Um, I uh, you know, the, well, it was interesting, but it but boring." <laughs> Uh, and he said I had done a commercial and this miniseries when he got he he along with three thousand other kids mm. got called in and met Spielberg. But that's still like we're gonna plant this film on this these tiny little shoulders and you're going to carry it because you're li- in literally every scene. Yeah, and he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> Although, admittedly, you know it's hard to watch him now because we know him so much. I keep expecting him to suddenly you know, turn to one of the Japanese soldiers and go swear to me. Well, really, it's more like, swear to me! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so this isn't mm. trivia? No, no. We will move into trivia now. Oh. <laughs> uh, the boy's name is Jim Graham, which is actually taken from the author, the guy who wrote the book, J.G. Ballard. His given name is James Graham Ballard. Uh, now, Stephen, the, one of the most iconic shots in, or, or scenes in this movie is with Jim standing on top of a tower in a prison camp while the American planes are bombing the airfields. This was a really complicated and difficult shot, and they could only they had to do it in one take. So he gave uh, instructions to Christian Bale to get excited and jump up and down or run around on the rooftops as the planes passed by and the bombs went off. But uh, Bale got really scared as the sun started and didn't. It basically just stood there. Yeah. So, but since most of the explosions had been used up on the shot, Spielberg uh, had a few words with him and then improvised with several shots from different close-up angles, eventually getting him to give a more excited performance. And it works fine. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's very powerful. Although I bet to this day, being the actor that he is, the serious actor that he is, that he regrets it. I just have this feeling that hangs over his head. What not? Why couldn't Why couldn't I up? jump up and down? Yeah. Oh, I wasn't the actor they had. I was the actor. It wasn't the actor they deserved. I was the actor they. <laughs> it's got. complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the British POWs. I don't even. I think he gets one line. Is played by a guy named Eric Flynn, who was actually a POW as a child in a Japanese camp. Hmm. Well, of uh, course, I was J.G. Ballard, but the B twenty nine bomber, which passes by in a very quick scene, is a radio controlled model has a wingspan of 18 feet most yeah. of the planes were actually yeah a lot of them were models. some of them were harvard trainers painted up to look like zeros yeah uh the movie's theme song suogan which i at first from the title thought was chinese is welsh <laughs> and it's a lullaby sung in welsh sung by james rainbird it was sort of they they used they wanted a welsh lullaby because and i didn't actually know this christian bale is welsh yes he is yeah i thought i thought he was just English. Well, strangely, he doesn't have a Welsh accent. And no. from what I can see, he's not only from Wales, but that's where his family still is. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not like, oh, I was born in Wales for five minutes and then moved to London. But, oh. eh. 
the shot of Jim's parents tucking him into bed is lifted directly from the Norman Rockwell painting, Freedom from Fear. Jim's father is even holding a newspaper the way the father does in the painting. And the main difference is in the painting, there are two kids in the bed and, uh, you know, there's only one. And the painting's also featured when Jim is at camp, when he's rearranging his pinups. Rockwell's painting is one of them. Yeah, Spielberg is a huge Rockwell fan. He owns something like close to 60 Rockwell paintings. Wow. Um, if you've ever been to the Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, you will notice the little placard saying, on loan from or a gift of or this wing bought by Steven Spielberg all over the place. Now, the uh, portion in the internment camp was actually cut down quite a bit. A lot of role actors' roles almost turned into cameos, uh, including that of Miranda Richardson, who was uh, Mrs. Victor. Right. Uh, that's a few lines. Oh, yeah, she does. And she's in some significant scenes. And she gets, yep. a, she gets a really good death scene. Yep. But uh, that's pretty much most of the trivia. There isn't a great deal on this. Uh... Yeah, I, I had to go looking stuff up. So, mm -hmm. well, well, we'll get into yep. the movie part. Yep. The Lowdown. Um, yeah, there was a. Uh, I, it's funny. I'd seen this years ago. I don't mm -hmm. remember why I watched it. Um, I must have been feeling really happy and decided I needed something to counter that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> hey, spoiler, not a happy movie. No, but, I mean, it ends well, and there's a sense of optimism to some of it, at least. I mean, Spielberg, Spielberg does not do really sad movies, I mean, with the exception of Schindler's List. Well, we'll talk about the ending a little later. Okay. Um, and you're correct, he doesn't. Um, and I actually decided to go look up old Stevie Boy, because you remember a lot of the big ones, and then there's all these films you actually forget that existed, or you forgot that he actually directed, like yeah. Minority Report. Um, oh yeah, which I—it's like, oh yeah, that's a Tom Cruise film. Oh yeah, that's directed by him too. Um, Amistad, which I utterly forgot, mm. um, which I also didn't see to be fair, because it's like, I, you know, I not mm. didn't this <laughs> film. If I'm not correct, if I'm mistaken, um, this film came out, I think, in December. Yeah, uh, wait, which of '87? Uh, Empire of the Sun. Yeah, and it's like, uh, so for Christmas, you're yeah. gonna put out this. <laughs> Oh, come on. It's, it's December. It's basically writing for your Oscar consideration all over it. I know, but if you want people to go see it, they're like, A uh, family we'd, rather, picture. we'd rather celebrate, thanks. Yeah. Uh, other films, too. I mean, one of, the, one of my favorite Steven Spielberg films, it is not a big film. It is not a hit-you-over-the-head film. It wasn't a hugely well-received film, was Catch Me If You Can. Actually, oh, yeah. Really, that was a nice, solid film. Yeah, uh, I had forgotten. But you say about not a big film. It had two of the biggest stars in it: Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. I did. I know, but when you put names. it up against to an Indiana Jones film, it's mm -hmm. like or Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. um, I'd forgotten he directed Jurassic Park too, which mm, yeah, um, yeah, well. But the Terminal, there's a film I oh, totally yeah. forgot existed. Munich, there's I a term, reason, and there's a big reason I had forgotten that he had anything to do with Tintin. Oh God, really? He did See? that. Yep, he did. Uh, I've almost, uh, I have forgotten almost everything about that movie. It's utterly forgettable, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's had a really... I mean, this is no surprise to anybody, but he's a really interesting career. Yeah. Uh, he got picked up. His first the, the first major thing I could find he did uh, was an episode of Night Gallery. Oh, okay. Which one? And I don't remember. I'd have oh. to go and, and double-check that out. But the interesting thing was that when he... Um, was doing it there was a very famous actor that was in the episode i of course don't remember the actor's name because that would be useful <laughs> uh oh it's joan crawford oh okay and she's like wait i'm gonna be directed by some 20 year old kid no <laughs> not doing it and apparently as soon as he started directing she did a total 180 and she's like wow this is a wonderkind this this guy's going yeah. somewhere and she started recommending him, and he started getting other work for shows like Marcus Welby. Uh, some, uh, he did an episode of Columbo, too, didn't he? He did do an episode. He actually did the first episode of Columbo that was an episode and not a movie. Hmm. Uh, and if you watch it, it's like it is one of the better directed episodes. Um, and it's got Jack Cassidy and Martin Milner in it. Probably was uh, the first thing he did that people really remember was a TV movie called Duel. Oh, yeah, Dennis is, Weaver. Yeah, McLeod! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which was basically a guy being chased by a seemingly driverless... Actually, it wasn't no, driverless, no. but you, you couldn't see, see... You see the guy's arm. Yeah. 
but it's like and they, the guy never knows why he's being chased by this this guy in his 18 wheeler i think he like cuts him off at one point and the guy decides to kill him yeah. and it is a it is a brilliant piece of work it there's almost no dialogue it's unbelievably suspenseful and you can also see elements of jaws in it um, and that will come in a little bit. Did you ever see his first uh, motion picture, Sugarland Express? No, I never did. It was one of, either. The, one of those car but chase movies I wasn't that into. From there, they basically said, yeah, we'll sign you up for a seven-year contract deal. <laughs> and he's like, uh, huh? And, and at this point, he's like 25. And they hand him Jaws, mm. which was a very problematic film. That yeah. stupid shark, which whom everybody knows the name of the damn shark. There was numbers of sharks. Hello, my name is Bruce. <laughs> and I didn't see it when it came out because I was 10, and there's no way I would have lived to be a teenager if I'd seen that I film saw when it. Came it. Out. I didn't want to go swimming for a year. Nobody did. But Jaws was gigantic. It, it was, was the first summer blockbuster. But, like, people now don't realize. If, like, you were born in the 80s or 90s, you don't realize how big it was. Not only was it being made fun of on every show on TV, there were stickers and gumball machines, t-shirts. There was everything with sharks on it. And that movie was playing for probably, it probably played the summer after. It was still playing. And there was, this is one of those lines around the block things, right? Because there were so more, fewer screens back then. But people would go and see it and see it. It was the biggest thing ever. And if you haven't seen it, I will say that it is still probably one of his best directed films. It is, a, it is a really good movie. The cast is terrific. The directing is superb. Camera works great. And he really does make manage to minimize how dopey the shark looks. Yes. Not only that, but it's it's kind of two films. There's the on-land film and then yeah. there's the sea film. And they don't feel like two films, but there's a definite dividing line. As soon as there they is. get on that boat, the film changes. And he manages to make a film that takes place, the half of the film that takes place entirely on a boat, not feel claustrophobic and limited. Mm -hmm. um, it takes three characters, all of whom are vastly different from each other, and you like different parts of each of them. Except Richard Dreyfus. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's actually Richard Dreyfus at his least Richard Dreyfus. He'll get mm. a lot worse later on. Um, and from then on, he Steven Spielberg, as Max pointed out, kind of gets either pigeonholed or it's something he he's happy to do, which is he makes big, 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 big movies. Yeah, um, he makes some. He made summer. He was king of the summer blockbuster. And then he did this. Mm-hmm. This was and. Neat. It was an attempt, I think, and a lot of people think so too, of him trying to do something more serious and mm -hmm. something less, you know, Saturday afternoon at the movies. And, and I it don't is. know. Oh boy, is it! I I, I want to say that may have been one of the reasons it wasn't as popular as it could have. I still think December is not a good time of year to bring yeah, it out. There are okay. flaws with this movie, though. I can kind of understand why it wasn't terribly popular. Go, what do, now, so why did you pick this film? Because I know there's pl probably plenty of other films that you as a total cinephile, which sounds dirty, yeah. maybe, maybe it is dirty, uh, haven't seen and really should see. So why this one? Uh, I love Steven Spielberg also, and this is one of his biggies that I just never got around to seeing. And there are a lot of Spielberg films I have no interest in seeing because they, the guy is not Midas. Everything he touches does not turn to gold. He has put out... Some real crap, 1941. Ready Player One. Yeah. Oh. Well, see, I, I wondered if this film wasn't the apology film for 1941. I wonder. But yeah, Ready Player One. Oh, <sighs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, he, mm. Now, to be fair, I did see an article somewhere where somebody asked him about that. And it's like, what's the deal with this? And he said, look, I didn't write it. I just directed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, George, there's a bus coming and it's got your name on it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But I wanted, I wanted to see it because, uh, again, I, I knew it was one of his first, quote, important films. Right. And uh, I, I'd, heard it, I'd heard good things about it, and I'd just never gotten around to seeing it. Well, to be fair, I guess Color Purple came out right before this. Did you see Color Purple? I did. And, and? I, that one, that blew me away. That was, uh, I was really, that actually was the first time I looked at Spielberg and thought, I, I think this guy's actually really good. He's not just fun. He's really good. And also, like, wow, Whoopi Goldberg isn't just funny. Because I've never seen it, which is, I it, could easily put it on this list. It's a hard movie to watch. It's Parts of it are very painful. But it's so good. And this is the movie, one of the things that created Oprah Winfrey. 
<laughs> Wait, so we can blame Steven Spielberg? <laughs> it was Hey, like, Harpo's your fault, pal. <laughs> it was basically her uh, Oh, I think I think it was Oprah's first movie role. It it really brought her to public attention. Hmm. But and it's it's really well done. It's really good. It's just painful. Yeah, I don't even know what it's about. Don't tell me because we may we may do this again sometime. But and I should watch it because boy, there we could do a whole show on just Steven Spielberg, yeah. couldn't we? We Maybe could we easily. Maybe we could we do a whole series on him. And you know, here's the thing. One of my favorite of his films is another early fan and I do like Jaws you know mm -hmm. as as I think a lot of people who haven't seen it just assume they know what it's about and it is really a character study especially yeah. the second half of the film and Roy Scheider and um, oh my god I can never remember Robert Shaw mm -hmm. and Richard Dreyfuss. Annoying. Richard Dreyfuss those three carry half of a summer blockbuster and there's long periods of that film where there is not Jaws eating things yeah and it, great performances on all of them. And I'm really sorry that we don't get Roy Scheider for that much longer after this. I think he lasts till the early 90s, and I think he passed away. Yeah. Um, which is too bad, because Roy Scheider was very underused. Yeah. I really like him. He was a very talented guy. He didn't have the greatest range. Robert Shaw was, did. Oh. Robert Shaw was a guy who, he was one of those guys who just vanished into, into yep. the parts. The, Robert Shaw is one of those actors like Gary Oldman, where you go, oh, that was him in that? Yeah, the first role I know him from was from Russia with Love. And besides yeah. being blonde and clean cut in that film, never mind, I think, was he supposed to be Russian at one point? I don't remember. Uh, he's utterly unrecognizable. Oh, yeah, you would not, I remember seeing it in the credits, his name in the credits later, you know, after a uh, fourth or fifth viewing and going, oh, he's in that? I wonder who he is. He must be at some bit part. Oh, he must have played Rosa Klebb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, no, I so, never got over the fact that it was Lada Lenya playing yeah. Rosa Oh, my God. Yeah. But one of my favorite early Spielberg films, and we will get back to Empire of the Sun, I promise, oh, yeah. was actually uh, Close Encounters. Close Encounters came oh, out. Oh, yeah. I remember it being 78, but it says 77. Huh. Um, and I thought it, it was, was 78 a, also. I thought it came out the year after Star Wars. That's what I thought. That's oh. what I remember. But I oh. remember, and right, I swear it would have been... I would have been either 12 or 13. So, you know, not mm -hmm. the most aware and, and cinematically nuanced viewer in the world. And I went and saw Close Encounters many times in the theater. I really like that film. It is not fast-paced. No. It is not the usual blockbuster fare. He really doles out the, the spaceship and alien stuff like breadcrumbs, you know, with sometimes 20, 30 minutes in between. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss doing a, a really good performance. He's mm -hmm. not at all annoying in this film, um, and even and there's there's a bunch of great performances, including Francois Truffaut. I don't know yeah. why, I guess, because Spielberg liked him. But I and I've watched it since, and it still holds up. It's a really interesting film, and it's not as blockbustery as he would get later. Um, but then there's this, mm -hmm. and this is a real. Divergence, Like, as I said, I didn't see Color Purple, but this is Stephen trying to be serious. Uh, and I think he succeeds. It's a pretty serious film. And he takes a big risk by planting it on Christian Bale's either 11 or 12-year-old shoulders. I don't know how old he was when he started filming. Mm. But the kid carries the film. He does. And, and you can see him. You can see, oh, one of my notes is, even at 12, he is very Christian Bale. Yeah. There's something about the brow and the nose ridge. And he does that that little side-eye look he can give you. Yes, that little smirky thing. Uh, but he's great. I, there's few kid actors, I think, that are ever good and that will translate into something worthwhile. And obviously Christian Bale was one of them. Mm. So your initial... Uh, you, you knew about the plot, I assume. Yeah, I had some idea of the plot, yeah. Yeah, I sometimes get this confused with Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, for no particularly good reason. Well, uh, they both involve prisoner of war camps. Uh, one has David Bowie in it, though. Although David, they're both blonde. So. Yeah, David Bowie, <laughs> Christian Bale. Yeah. So the the film starts with a crawl, which is not an unheard of thing, especially when it comes to summer blockbusters. But my feeling was, give us a crawl or give us narration. Don't read to us. Yeah, that, that was a little annoying. Uh, and, and we get Christian Bale fairly quickly. And my first note was, he's very spoiled, very brat. Yeah, I mean, he's... Uh, I think they, that he give, they give a really good picture of a, a privileged, uh, opulent life. He's, a, he's the son of a very rich industrialist in, in, in Shanghai. He's never been, he was apparently born in Shanghai, or maybe he was born in England and they took him here as a baby, But because he says he's never seen England. 
Right. He doesn't know what it looks like. And uh, he really is sort of the, the essence of privilege. Later on when he finds... Oh, no, no, it's even it's it's in the opening when one of the servants, he's trying to get uh, cookies and the servant says, you know, uh, Mrs. says you shouldn't have. And she just says, you have to do what I say. Yeah. Yeah, that really, that sums it up, up really well. But the tension that builds from the beginning is really well managed because you know what's coming. I right. mean, hell, they tell you, not to, in the opening crawl, but when you, they tell you the date, it's 1941. You know Pearl Harbor is about to happen, and when that happens, Japan declares war on, you know, everybody. Well, and they had already occupied China to various um, levels anyway, which we see. Yeah, but that um, was sort of established as they had reached a kind of detente. It was just sort of there. Yeah. And and clearly, over the once uh, the Axis powers formed, the tension began to increase because China knew that Japan was going to try to attack them again. Right, which they'd done many times. Yep. One of the things I did like about the privilege, because he is exceedingly spoiled, but whose fault is that? That mm. is his parents oh, and where they parents. live. Oh, yeah. And this I didn't know was that there was this sort of colony of rich expat Brits not only living in Shanghai, but basically building England. Yeah, they like, created the, the, a facsimile of English life in the middle of Shanghai. They, they, right. The houses are all built in English style. The roads are different. Everything. It, it's like another planet. And interestingly, this was the first film to have been filmed from, should, sorry, the first Western film yeah. to have been filmed in China since the 30s. Yeah, it, it took a lot to get them the, the permits, yeah. Oh boy, do they spend money in this movie. Cripes, yeah. everywhere you look, money, 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 money. Look at all, thousands of extras here, thousands yeah. of extras there. Dear gods, it's just crazy. The scale of the movie is very impressive. It's very big. Yes. But the privilege, I think, mm. I thought was actually really interesting because a lot of times there's two sides of the fence. There's the privileged and the unprivileged. And mostly you get films showing the privileged what it's really like for the rest of us and it's like mm -hmm. this is why we're all upset and occasionally you'll get a privileged person going wow i had no idea this does the opposite it shows you why these people might think the way they do and christian bale knows nothing other than the entire world revolves around me my parents do what i want them to do, except his dad is kind of his dad's really. tough yeah well i'm not tough he's kind of absent he doesn't mm -hmm. he's not doesn't pay a lot of attention he's not absent he's british but, he's, he's very the classic English father. Well, there's no emotion if that's what you of mean. Of course. <laughs> Sorry, Brit friends. Um, but also, like, mom hovers around him. The servants, as you just pointed out, you have to do what I say. And no one's there to tell him otherwise. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in his life that says you are not top of the world. Yeah, there's no boundaries. And, there's no sense of perspective. Yeah, and it, it's pretty soon the poop hits the, the flying thing. <laughs> and... Uh, he runs around trying to get people and one of the things he says is help me i'm british yeah like that's supposed to matter right because he doesn't know that it doesn't so i actually liked that part where as, as bratty as an annoying as he is we understand why he thinks the way he does even through when he gets to the prison camp and, there, and he's trying to do he's sort of trying to keep that British stiff upper lip class sort of thing going in in his own way, mm -hmm. but I, I it was nice to see somebody explain it without deriding it at the same time. Yeah, it's just like this is the way it was. The English accepted that it was just a given that they were on top of the heap. They were the, the top of the world. And to be fair, for a lot of for up until World War II, which basically destroyed the British Empire and ruined them as a world power, they were. They'd been on top for a thousand years. At least yep. in the in the West, right. they they the sun they don't they aren't kidding. The sun never set on the the British Empire. That's right. They controlled Hong Kong, they controlled India, all over the place. Uh, uh, the, I thought hmm? I thought it was because it was so cloudy in Britain all the time. That's the rains. So that's why uh, the sun didn't set. Ah, uh, see it. Yes, <laughs> that's yes. not what it was. No, oh. no, no, it was not. Uh, my understanding yeah. of history is once again thwarted. <laughs> no, yeah, it, the sheer level of arrogance they show is just amazing because and it's so matter of fact and right. they think nothing about throwing around ethnic slurs right at the chinese yeah and there's that great opening part of the film where they're going to a costume party yeah a christmas party 
Yeah, they're driving their limousines through this uprising in Shanghai. So, it's, of course, it's mostly peasant folk or, you know, lower class folk. And there are all these people in these bright colored costumes, clowns, pirates. Mm -hmm. He's playing Sinbad. And it's That's car after Sinbad. car. <laughs> car after car. And they're all looking out the window like, we have absolutely no idea what's going on. And it's, it's very cool because it's like the cars are keeping in their bubble of fantasy. Yeah, the cars Everything are outside fortresses. Yeah, and then they get to the party, and it's like, oh, good, we can forget all the peasants now. <laughs> hey, what kind of car was that? I don't know. I've never seen a car with that swan hood ornament. I don't know. I thought Something it was maybe British. a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. It could have been. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, there, were, there were all sorts of, of hood ornaments. But, and then, of uh, course, it all falls apart. Yep, very, yeah. very quickly. The Japanese and... invade, and everyone has to get out, and James gets Jamie gets separated from his family. And right, his mother is trying to get him out, and they're like, we have to get out of the hotel, except they never get more than about a half a block from it. Well, because it's a mob. There's hundreds of thousands yeah. of people desperately trying to get out before the Japanese roll in. Yeah, and it's this scene where he's literally physically pulled away from his mother, and an un... What's the word I want? It's a, it's a tide that you cannot yeah, go against. Unstoppable tide. It's just yeah. absolutely uh, irresistible. And she's dragged away from him, screaming, yep. and she's trying to get yep. back to him, but there's nothing she can do. It's this wall of humanity... Yep. And he goes home. He does the only thing he knows how to do. He goes back to well, his house. She tells him to. She yeah, says, she says, go home, I'll, I'll find meet you, you there. Yeah. yeah Guess is... what? Nobody's there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he find, he there is. He, that was another in, a scene that uh, I thought was really interesting. He finds the servants are there stealing stuff. Right. And he just goes, Yo, what do you think you're doing? And the, the servant doesn't even speak to him. She just walks over, slaps him across the face, and goes on with her business. And he is just so stunned by that he just stands there he, he doesn't understand and I think at that point he's realizing his whole world's falling apart I believe the word is gobsmacked yeah she quite <laughs> was and he lives in the house and he's living on canned goods I, I liked there was a technique that uh, Spielberg used uh, watching the water level in the swimming pool go down to show the right. passage of time yeah I thought that was really effective but eventually he's like, well, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And he goes wandering off. And who does he run into? Oh, no, it's Cypher from The Matrix. Yes, he runs into Joey Pants himself, Joe Pantaleone, who yep. if you're in a movie, if, if you see a character, you're a character in a movie and you run into Joe Pantaleone, run. He's yeah, usually well. not a good guy. I mean, he's not awful in this. He's a, he is a scavenger, and he takes him to the king scavenger, Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. In thankfully, one of his one of his less Malkovich roles. Yeah, he's this, actually pretty good in. Yeah, I think he's really one. good in this. He yeah. absolutely the character Basie. He's a fast. He's a really cool character. He's really interesting, and you know right away this guy. He's like you know somewhere between Fagin and I don't know what else. The guy is a sur survivor. That's what one of the guys in the prison camp says. It's good that you're friends with Basie. He's a survivor. Yeah, and I again, I'm just like, oh, dear gods, the two people you don't want to get stuck with are Cypher and uh, jo John Malkovich. Galvatorix, yes. Yeah, Gal <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, what is it? Uh, I'm in pain without my stone. Yeah. Uh, yep. Joe Pantoliano. Mm -hmm. Not okay. Pantoliani. Oh, excuse me. Pantoliano. Yeah, and he shows up in lots of interesting things. He was in an oh, episode yeah. of MASH. He's in lots of stuff, but generally he's kind of trouble. Yeah. So I see these two. It's like, oh, yeah. And at one point, though, they bring him back, and Joe, and I can't remember. Oh, Frank. His name was Frank. Mm, Frank, yeah. Frank says, we don't have enough fries for you, kid. It's like, well, then why did you take him home? And I, you know, at this point, you're starting to worry, oh, God, what are they going to do with him? Like when they're checking his teeth. Yeah. I, my first thought was, oh, God, they're going to sell his teeth. Well, they ask later on, it's like, did he have any gold teeth? And it's like, ah, I don't want to yeah. see that. No, it's, and then, it's not that bad. They just try to sell him. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, he seems to be on it. He's upset because he can't. Well, why can't you sell me? <laughs> it's like, you're too weak and skinny. And like, they're trying to sell you. Why are you staying with them? And I think it's literally because it's the only thing he knows. Yeah, he, they're the only people, well, A, who can talk to him. And B, yeah. that have been any, given him, been any kind of kind to him. And, and we're also left to wonder, why are there Americans here? Um, yeah, these guys, I, I get the feeling, by the way, that both of them are deserters. They were in the army and they deserted. They maybe. don't say this. No, but it's possible. Yeah, I mean, because uh, Basie has an awful lot of military knowledge. He's really, he knows the planes really well. Right. <laughs> the B, was it B-51, the Cadillac of the skies? 
Yeah, I think it's P fifty one. Oh, P- don't get me. Yeah. I think so. Okay. It's, it's the uh, Mustang. Oh, okay. That, oh, it's the Mustang. That is, I think, the P fifty one. Which is interestingly, yeah. the Mustang is the Cadillac of the Ford. <laughs> yeah, well. Oh well, whatever. And, yeah, and he, he his plane is what got him into trouble in the first place because he has this little Japanese Zero toy plane and it falls out of his hand in the big crowd and he goes to get it. That's how he gets separated. Yeah, yeah. But sure, sure. Not long after he meets up with. Um, Cypher and, and Galbatorix, which uh, <laughs> is not fair. It's Basie and Frank. Yeah. Uh, they're all pretty much captured. I, and I still like where he's trying to surrender. Right, to he, anybody. He's running around. Yeah, he runs over to this platoon or this uh, squad of Japanese soldiers raising his hands. I surrender. And they just start laughing and make, mocking him and raising their hands going, I surrender, I surrender. Yeah. And he keeps, yeah. and he, again, he keeps, I surrender, I'm British, I surrender. Like, yeah. that means anything. And because he's obviously grown up on the stories that, oh, you know, the Geneva Convention, prisoners will be well-treated, it's safer. Well, I've even heard that. My feeling is that he's just like, his knowledge, well, I have, one of my notes is, Jamie has no idea what real life is. Yeah, None. he doesn't. He just assumes people will take care of him because he's a kid, he's white, and he's British. Right. And they did. They get taken to an internment camp next to an airfield. And one of the things is they're saying is that, you know, hey, they'll probably feed us here. Mm-hmm. So... Even Basie and Frank are like delusional because it's not, it's, I mean, I suppose it's better than being in the streets, but really not much. Not a lot. Um, They do get fed, just not very much. I mean, they get a potato. Better than being shot. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly time passes. Yeah. It's Uh, been like four years. Three and a half, they do say, although it was 41 to 45. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to, I'm going to go out here and and give them a a, a pass and say that the reason that Jamie doesn't uh, age Mm -hmm. is malnutrition. Yeah. He doesn't grow. At all. Mm-hmm. Like, his voice doesn't even change, and this actually becomes a problem at the end of the film. Yeah, well. Um, and he's he is the, you know, hot-stepping little gopher. He is trading up, trading He is up, an operator. Up. He's obviously learned from Basie, because Basie yep. is one of those guys, he's the guy in prison who controls all the cigarettes, he's the guy... Who always knows how to get you? Who knows how to get you? Uh, you know, porn magazines or yeah. Who was the scrounger in uh, A Great Escape? Oh, uh, uh, it wasn't Steve McQueen. It was who, not. Oh Steve... no, it was Steve McQueen because he, he no, was not... willing to go into the oh the yes cooler. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. He so was he's the scrounger. Steve, he is Steve McQueen. Yeah. That's. I think that's fair. I, I think saying Christian Bale in this film is Steve McQueen. That's fine. Well, <laughs> to, well he's more of the gopher. Um, Basie is Steve McQueen. Well, here's the thing. Basie tells other people what to do, yeah. and the people that think they can profit from him or that they're going to profit from him do what he says. Yeah. But as it turns out, those are the people who get screwed. Yeah, um, but it's true. Jim also—I mean, that's the other thing—he goes from being Jamie to being Jim, right? And he does—he's not just doing stuff for himself or for Basie. He set up this sort of complex system of negotiation of trades that actually help a lot of people, right? The doctor, especially. Yeah, the doctor. People doing the laundry. He gets food to people. He yeah. very care. He very. He steals very carefully from the Japanese. Yeah, well, that, that's okay because it bites Basie in the bum later on. Yeah, so that's well. Um, he also mm-hmm. is very bright when it comes to culture, which is interesting yeah. because, of course, he's had no reason to do this except that he's interested in the Japanese. He obviously has a big. He's an aviation um, freak. Well, he's an aviation freak, but he obviously really respects the Japanese Air Force. So mm-hmm. he's learned something about the Japanese culture. And there's one yep. point where the doctor's getting beaten up because he's British. And the British are doing things. The Allies are doing things to the Japanese. And they're hearing this on the radio. And the Japanese are like, the hell with this. And they start breaking windows in the camp. And they start beating up the doctor who's saying, basically, don't break my windows. It's one of the only things keeping my patients alive. And Jim very quickly goes onto his knees and supplicates and says the right things mm-hmm. in Japanese. That's the other thing. He's pick, he picks up Japanese. Uh, or He's one of the enough. only people who bothers to do it. Yeah. Again, very English. They're, they're like, yeah. a, they're, we're, I'm afraid the, we've picked that up here in America. We just assume if we speak English loudly and slowly, everybody will understand. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he, it's true. He learns who to bow to. He learns when to... You know, prostrate himself. He learned, but with, but not so much that he earns their contempt. Yep. I, I love it when the camp. This is jumping ahead when the camp closes, and the commandant or the whatever you want to call him of the sergeant. camp, the sergeant, is like leaving, and he just walks over to Jim and he stands in front of him and just points at him and goes, "Difficult boy." And leaves. Is that what he said? <laughs> yes. Because all I could find to me, I listened with headphones twice. I actually rewound. I it. turned like, on the subtitles. What? 
Oh, because what I heard was dish counter boy. Nope. Difficult like, What's boy. Dish counter? Okay. I thought, that's beautiful. Yeah, but, but it's I, but it was still a sign of respect. Yes, it was because yeah because again this is the thing with Japanese culture. People talk about how badly prisoners were treated in World War II by the Japanese, which they were. Of course, they were also treated badly by the Germans, the Americans. Yes, prisoners we were, of, of course very nice to our prisoners. Oh yeah. <clears throat> well, the thing with Japanese culture is. They were trying to bring, in a lot of ways, Emperor Hirohito and Emperor Tojo and a lot of the the senior staff, they were trying to sort of reignite samurai culture. Mm. And the thing with the samurai is you don't surrender. If you become a prisoner, you cease to be a person. You have lost everything. You've lost all honor. You are not worthy of any respect. Prisoners are animals. They, it doesn't matter how you treat them. And it's there was that combined, but it was in conflict with the more modern at, you know, attitudes and with things like the Geneva Conventions. Mm. So it was it, it's difficult and you can see that in this movie they're not going out of their way to be cruel but they won't take any you know it's fine as long as you you give us any trouble and we'll beat the crap out of you. Which they do to Basie at one point and Basie instantly loses all his status. Yeah, he loses his status, he loses his stuff. That that actually is a really interesting that, sorry there are a couple of really interesting scenes in there. One of the things at the beginning when he first when Jamie first or Jim first gets to the camp and he sees an actual zero, yeah. And he just goes over and he's leaning against it like it's like it's a church, yeah. And one of the soldiers is coming over. He's about to shoot him because you know he's he's broken ranks. He's he's over by you know military equipment. He's touching a plane. He's touching a plane. And these three pilots walk up, and he turns around and he looks at them with and the awe on his face, and he salutes them. Yeah. And they uh, they recognize. I always got the feeling in that. They recognize one of their own. They recognize a fellow pilot. They recognize someone who loves to fly, and they salute him back. And I, and apparently, one of them gives him his jacket because yeah, he ends cause... up wearing the jacket. It was very clearly a Japanese airman's jacket for the rest of the movie. And the guard, of course, doesn't shoot him because no. of that because the pilots recognize him. And so, go ahead. I'm sorry. Then, then he becomes. Yeah, as you said, then he becomes the more power, sort of almost a powerful figure in camp. People don't harass him. He doesn't get beaten. Well, people rely on him yeah. because they're unable to pull themselves out of their British societal backgrounds. Mm. And there's points where they're even saying things that are very delusional about what's going on. They yeah. just can't deal with it. Like, and Jim is the, one of the most flexible people in the camp, well, partially because he's so young. Yeah, but he, there are other children there, but he's the one with initiative. He's the one with drive. Yeah. And it, the sad thing is he really thinks of Basie, who he basically... He's basically Basie's slave, and he thinks of him as his friend. And Basie likes him as much as someone like Basie can, but it's clear Basie is purely out for himself. Yeah, and that never changes. No, never. You you kind of think it's going to. You think, oh, he's going to you know, develop a kind of fatherly affection for the kid. He doesn't. No. I mean, when he... The, one of the more exciting scenes is he goes out into no man's land to uh, try to catch pheasants. Jim yep. does. And first of all, they're all betting on whether he's going to die. Right. Including Basie. Basie starts it. Yeah, but he's betting on him. He's saying he's going to live. But Did you recognize one of the guys under Basie? Yes, one of Dainty. His... That was Ben Stiller. <sighs> I totally About 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just old enough to grow a beard. That's how old he is. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, they're, they're yeah. betting on him. And, yeah, and uh, he avoids the sergeant, you know, with, kind of with the help. He sort of has befriended this other young Japanese guy. I don't know if he's one of, if he's a really young soldier, if he's the child of one of the the, the soldiers there. Who he, the, the guy loses his glider, a toy glider behind uh, the fence, and Jim throws it back to him. Yeah, and he distracts and, the guy, and yep. so Jim does not get killed. And then when he comes back into the Americans' dorm, they all ride up and salute him. And yeah, because that was sort of the, the the thing that that Basie said. Okay, you can come live with the Americans now. Yeah, and as he he says, "You're an American now," and I like it. He looks over at Frank and does with a pretty good American accent. How you doing, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he'll do another American accent later just fine. Actually, yeah. and he is one of the only actors that I will give a nod to being able to pull off a Boston accent. He, he does. He does a good Boston accent. He does a very good American accent, and the English often don't. Just that yes. they're as bad as we are doing their accents. 
Yeah, so this film is very, in many places, very grand and sweeping. Did it remind you visually of another director by any chance? Well, a little bit of Cecil B. DeMille. Okay. Um, yeah, because he, he liked the big grand sweeping stuff. So this film was not originally supposed to be directed by Steven Spielberg. Right. Steven Spielberg was going to uh, produce it. Mm -hmm. And the director, as it turns out, was one of Steven Spielberg's biggest influences and one of his favorite directors. Who's that? David Lean. I don't know him. Oh, you do? Okay. He did a little film called Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. Oh, I never saw Dr. Zhivago. That was originally going to be another one of my picks for this series. Yeah. But and, oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and David that. Lean is is like one of Steven Spielberg's like yeah, when I first he saw uh Lawrence of Arabia many times when it came out when he was a kid and he was like that's what turned the light on. It's like I knew I wanted to make movies, but now I knew what kind of movies I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And David Lean had to to bow out. He couldn't do it and Steven Spielberg took over. It turns out that it was basically like um uh okay, uh, Mr. Lean, you can direct this movie if you really want to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh, oh, I can't. Oh, really? I mean, oh, that's really too bad. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get to do it. Um, and yeah, because mm -hmm. this is a big sweeping. Oh yeah, film. very, very sweeping, grand. Sweeping, sweeping. A lot of scale. But also, I like the little, the close things. Again, it's one of the, to me, one of the best uh, examples. Uh, the, the the illustrations of Basie's relationship with Jim. Jim loves him. He thinks he's his friend. Mm -hmm. But when he fails to protect Basie's stuff, yeah. He's cast out. Basically, just he doesn't even say anything. He just packs up and he knows he's not welcome anymore. He can't stay in the American barracks anymore. That to me was the interesting point, and it was the, I thought it was very influenced by Japanese culture. Is that he basically said nothing. There was nothing said ahead of time mm -hmm. that Jim was going to have to leave. Jim took it upon himself to wait till Basie got back and then show him that he understood that he screwed up yep. and left. He had lost and face was, and was leaving. And at that point, quite honestly, Basie needed all the friends he could get because all of his quote-unquote friends took all his stuff and left him with nothing. Mm. Uh, as it turns out, Basie has the last laugh because he will, in fact, leave them with nothing, including uh, his buddy Frank, who he promised also to take with him when he went off to meet his smuggler friends up the Yangtze. Yeah, he had a whole plan and, for escape and how he was going to make money off of it, and he, he actually yep. does it. Although, when he shows up with those guys, my first thought was, did he wander onto the cast of Mad Max? <laughs> They, well, yeah. They do. Yeah, they look the, like guys out of the Road Warrior. It's okay. It works. But, uh, so to, to wrap up the actual film yeah. part, basically what happens if you have not seen it is that uh, eventually the, the Japanese say, we got to move the camp. They start moving people. They come to this very strange site, which I'm willing to believe was totally true, which was basically a giant stadium full of all of the expensive stuff they stole from all the British houses, just sitting there in the open doing mm -hmm. nothing. And... They stay there one night, but then the next morning they're supposedly moving on. Jim stays with uh, Mrs. Victor, yeah. who Miranda basically Richardson. is like, she. they want to stay for some reason, maybe because this is the only thing that feels remotely like civilization. Well, she's, so they play dead. She's but, dying, and she doesn't want to move on. She's just done, yeah. and her husband's yeah. dead, and she just can't. She, she never recovers from going into the camp. No, so she she passes away and Jim's left alone and he decides to walk back to the original camp. And on the and way, on this the is, way, he, yeah, I I have to. I saw them. I was like, oh crap, those are bombs. Yeah, he sees the Hiroshima blast. That that part too. Yes, that's important. That will come up later. Yeah. but he doesn't know it. He thinks yeah. it's actually Mrs. Victor's soul going to heaven. Yeah, who knew what um, an atomic blast looked like? Uh, at that point, literally nobody. Uh, so he on the way though, on the way back, I thought that. There are these bombs dropping, and Jim's just not paying attention. Yeah. It's like, dude, you are so dead. They're not. They're actually these containers of food and supplies. Yeah, they're refrigerated from the can canisters being dropped by the Allies. Yep. Yeah, and suddenly he's got food for the like real food for the first <laughs> time in forever. He gets back to the camp. There's more of them there. Uh, there's a sad scene where his his buddy. Yeah. There's actually this great scene where they go through the ceremony of these. Obviously, you know, uh, the kamikaze were not pilots. They were literally anybody they could grab. They could teach long enough to keep the plane up, steady, and aim it. Mm -hmm. They weren't meant to come back. So there's this ceremony they show of basically them becoming the kamikaze, having mm -hmm. the sake, yep. singing a song, going up. His friend is the last one. And he is prepared. He's going to go do his duty. The f plane won't start. Yeah. It just will not go. So he's left behind. So Jim catches back up with his friends, unfortunately... 
John Malkovich yeah. and his pirate buddy show up. They misinterpret what's going on and shoot him. And that actor deserves an Oscar. He plays a dead body better than any actor I've ever seen <laughs> because not only is, are his eyes utterly unfocused and there's not even a blink, he has got water in his mouth. Yeah. I was just like, Gleh. No, he did, uh, he did that really, really well. And it's just so tragic. Yeah. Because you also got the feeling whether... I was never sure if it was he young or was he a little special. I don't know. Yeah. It was hard to tell. But, uh, yeah, so the pirates come back, there's food, and eventually the allies show up. Yeah. But at this point, Jim, there's just, there's not a lot of Jim left. No, Pretty but, much everything he's seen but, that he understood has been taken away. But I love that scene where the allies come, because in the beginning, when he's moved back into his parents' house by himself, one of the things he does is he's riding his bicycle through the rooms, which right. is, you know, our kid fantasy. And at the end, when everyone has abandoned the internment camp, he, somewhere he found a bicycle, I, I guess, and uh, is riding it around through the buildings, laughing maniacally. Yeah. And then suddenly you re he realizes he's riding past a whole bunch of American soldiers. He takes out a can. He, he takes out a can of condensed milk, hands it to the colonel, and says, "I surrender." And I love that the colonel drinks it. <laughs> yeah. It's like the only thing he's got to give up. Yeah. Um, did you notice, I was looking when the when the canisters opened, I was looking at the brands and wondering, oh, they probably use the original labels. Oh, there's the old Hershey label. Hey, wait, what's that? Klim? Really? Klim? Oh. <laughs> it's the great taste of milk without the milk. <laughs> Klim. And I didn't want, it's like, I don't want to look this up. I hope it's real. Klim. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Klim. At the store near you. Klim. <laughs> it's milk oh. spelled backwards. Yes, and then he's basically taken to this orphanage and he he's reunited with his parents except that's in this terribly painful scene because early on in the famous bombing scene he yeah. tells the doctor i don't remember what my parents look like and that is very important yeah and there's actually one other scene too when he's walking to the new internment camp everyone's brought their stuff you know they say one one, one bag case, but yeah Eventually, they, people have got nothing left. They haven't eaten for days. You see them start dropping things. Mm -hmm. Jim has got all of his, his, the last bits of his civilization in his suitcase that has got Jim Graham written on it. And eventually he comes, there's a waterway, and he just pitches it. Yeah. And that's basically Jim himself giving up anything that was his past. Yeah. He's got nothing. So when they get to the scene, there's a scene in this um, semi-bombed-out greenhouse somewhere in Shanghai where all of the kids of the British people have been rounded up so they can reunite them. It's obviously the bomb has dropped. Mm -hmm. um, everything's happened. And parents are looking for their kids. And it's, it's very sad because there's not a parent there that instantly recognizes their child. No, because they haven't the seen them in have, years. No. And we don't see Jim's parents either, so we don't know. Is, are they going to find them or not? Of course, it's a Spielberg film. We should have known better. Mm -hmm. But eventually we see, I think we first see his dad, and then we see his mom. And they're looking, and Jim doesn't even turn his head. Yeah, he doesn't. he's not even trying to see if they're there. He no. just has this dead look, and his mother recognizes him. Or she thinks. Thank, she, she's not thank, sure. Well, thankfully, through the magic yeah. of mal malnutrition, he hasn't changed that much. <laughs> yeah. But and she and the father hug him, mm -hmm. and Jim hugs back mechanically. But then, and his, then his eyes there's close. a shot. Mm -hmm. His eyes close, but then there's a shot of that suitcase. Yeah. And it's out in the bay somewhere. And it like just, it's more to yeah. That's and that's where the film ends, as they show that suitcase, and it's a very important scene because it's like he I, he's lost. I don't something. think he gets. I don't think he gets better. Yeah, I well, honestly don't. He may get better, but he's never going to be whole again. You get the feeling he's he's had to lose a part of himself that he's not going to get back. Interestingly, this this novel uh, that J.G. Ballard wrote yeah. is based more or less on his yeah. recollections of having gone through the same thing, although he did not get separated from his parents or his sister. His mother and sister were there oh. in the internment camp, and apparently things were not quite as bad for him, although this, is, this will come up in the, the final part. Um, so there was lots of liberties taken with all over the place, but there were real experiences mm -hmm. that they were based on. Um, do you have any other notes that you wanted to go through before we get to that? Do we like it part? No, I, th I think it was pretty, I think I'm all set. There were a couple of other points I liked. I liked the symbolism with the mosquito netting. The, right. the, in, in, in the hospital, the <laughs> only people who got the mosquito netting put around them were those who were about to die, except, except Basie. Basie. Because yep. he buys it. 
Like, was that what it was? I missed that part. He okay. traded batteries for it. Okay. And, and it was like, okay, that is very him. That and the weird symbolism of the golf shoes. This, yeah. yeah. I don't know why Jim wanted them so much, but he ends up wearing these ridiculous black and white spiked golf shoes for, for a very long time. Maybe they were more durable. I mean, they'd actually would be very useful because you, you can get, get great traction, and it's not like he cares about what happens to the floor. I think it's really the first shoes that he had worn since he had his shoes, or one shoe taken off him by that kid back in Shanghai. Right, and when Basie tries to take the shoes off that the corpse of a little girl, and he just flips out and says, I don't want them. But at this point, it's like, hey, can I have his shoes? Yeah. Like, it's death is just it's not even a thing. He doesn't even get it anymore. <laughs> the thing the doctor's shouting at him over and over again, try not to think so much. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's, so, that's pretty much all my notes. The Roundup. So, Max. Yeah. This was your choice. Yep. What did you think? I think it's really well made. I think it's kind of hard to watch. And uh, I think there's a little bit of some fantasy elements in it because I think while you may say that uh, Ballard says his experiences in the camps weren't that bad, a lot of the experiences in the camps apparently were just beyond description, were just horrible. Right. Uh, they didn't show the executions, of which there were many. We only see one or two beatings, of which there were many. Uh, but it's Spielberg. So... I think it's very Spielberg. And again, I, I am in awe of Christian Bale. I mean, as a kid, he puts in a performance that most adults couldn't match. I agree. But I went, for some reason, I'd seen this film before years ago. Don't remember why I watched it then. I was not looking forward to watching it again, only because I knew how big a downer it was. In fact, I watched it uh, before going to work one day, and when I was done, I texted my buddy Max and said, whatever you do, don't watch this just before going to bed. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Because this is not a film you want to take with you into dreamland, <laughs> which is interesting because after watching the film, I got more interested in it. I'm like, this, why would Steven make this? This is a very non-Steven Spielberg film. Yeah, it's got a kid as the main thing, and that Steven Spielberg loves doing films about kids, but it's like, eh, this is just not the kind of thing I expect him to want to make. Mm -hmm. So, And it, obviously this was not a film that he could make on a whim. The amount of money, I mean, apparently it only costs $35 million, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, although I guess it's only because it was 1987. Today it would be like, you know, $150, $200 million. Yeah. Because um, there is nowhere that it looks like they skimped on anything extra. No, everything looks just right. So I went and read a bunch of articles, and the first thing I found out was like, oh, it was supposed to be shot by David Lean instead. And Spielberg, it turns out, was a big fan of David Lean. And oh, yeah, who was? Oh, right, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, my God. Okay. Because uh, that was huge. Um, and then I looked into reviews, because it did not do particularly well. It's nope. Technically, it is a flop, because it did not make yeah, worldwide make twice. its budget back. Or even twice. Yeah. Um, and... People felt very confused by it. The, the fantasy elements that you just mentioned were a big problem for some people. Uh, it was a downer. Um, oh, people yeah. so, were still sp expecting Spielberg to do Spielberg things, and in a lot of ways, this isn't a Spielberg thing. No, in a lot of in ways, some ways it, it is. But then I started reading. I found some, some articles uh, pointing to one particular article where a guy said, this is actually a lost and untalked about classic. And huh. people really need to reconsider this movie because people don't get it. And I found this article, and it was written by a guy named Ernest Rister, who I did not. I think he actually did it as a, t a Tumblr post somewhere. Huh. And his feeling is that basically what we are seeing is a fantastical reconstruction made by Jim. That we're not meant to see this as what really happened. Oh, we're but his memory of it. Right. And there's actually a very weird thing in the beginning of the film that I noticed at the time and thought was a mistake. And I actually rewound over it. It's like, what's going on here? That he pointed it out and says is actually done on purpose. Very early on in the film, they're tucking in Jim. I'm sorry, Jamie at that point. Mm -hmm. And he's all excited about planes. He's got planes hanging from his ceiling. He's got pictures of planes on his wall. And he's actually been thinking about God of all things. His parents go into the bedroom to tuck him in, and there's this weird glitch. And what happens is there's a frame repeated. Like, 
it looks like a bad edit is what it looks like. And I'm like, how would this have gotten past Spielberg? It's literally like the father walks ahead of frame and then he walks ahead the same frame again. Okay. And according to this guy, he says that's the moment where the film starts to become recollection. That the horrors of what happened were now being seen through a child's eyes. And J.G. Ballard talks about this in his book, No, I Haven't Read It, where he says, I can't, I hate to put it this way because it's going to sound wrong, but my memories of this were that it wasn't that bad because as kids, we were running around playing a hundred different games. What was going on around us, we were, it just didn't occur to us. It didn't, we were numb. We were kids. We saw things a totally different way. We didn't hmm. understand what was going on. That's okay. Do you think that works? I think it does because there's other things too. Like early on, he's playing with his own glider. This is when he runs into the Japanese soldiers by mistake. And that glider stays up longer than any glider has a right to. But if you're a kid and you're playing with a toy, that lasts forever. And there's other scenes too that just, if you think about it, like these are kind of fantastical. They don't quite make sense. But if you're a kid, that's how it feels. That's true. That's, then that is very Spielberg is to yes. see things through the eyes of a child. And what Spielberg, if this is in fact what Spielberg had in mind, Spielberg was taking a big risk. He's basically saying, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to make it blatantly obvious that that's what I'm doing. And I think that the only other time that it comes into play besides that beginning part with that weird glitch. And if you go back and watch it, it's it is for me, it was very jarring. It's like, what is this? It's a bad edit. How, how is that just the DVD? I don't transfer? think I even noticed it. And, well, I don't know how you watched it. I watched it on my computer, so I was a little closer to the screen. So, uh, yeah, just bad TV. for your eyes. Don't do that. Um, it was just, I, and again, I, I went back. I thought maybe, oh, maybe my, my replay got messed up. But apparently that was in the film. That That's supposed to be. So it's, huh. it's almost like this is all the hint I'm going to give you that from now on, this is all through a kid's eyes. And that adrift suitcase is basically the whole childhood everything from before is gone they also talk about the fact that Basie looks exactly like the pirate character on the cover of his wings comic book oh and so Basie may be seen as his hero or whatever as he saw it through the eyes of the comic book but the hero who betrays him several right. times well, well and to be fair we don't know if he's read the story in the comic book that yeah. you know he, or he just looked at the cover because it's got a plane on it mm -hmm. and wings was a real comic that's a real golden age comic mm -hmm. Um, we look at his relationship with the doctor as being sort of a stand-in father figure. Um, and his when he says, I don't remember what my parents look like, that whole thing. It's like that's, according to this article, which was actually a really interesting article, um, it's all meant to be not factual, but what a child would see that experience to I be like. I guess there are a couple of things that I have a problem with there. Well, and what, what about when he when he's trying to bring back the dead? First the woman and the doctor and then his friend, the Japanese pilot, and he is trying to give him CPR because he thinks he can get his heart started again. And he just keeps saying, I can bring everybody back. I can bring everybody back. And we know it's a lie and we know he knows it. That's not. But at that point, I don't think he does. I think he's actually under the delusion that he can even though I, he knows he failed that last time. I think that's why he keeps repeating it, because he fa if I say it often enough, maybe I'll believe it. But that's exactly what a kid would do. Mm. Yeah, that, but they wouldn't that's sit not there fantastical. And go, that's painfully re real, because then he's hauled off of me, and he said, that, he was my friend, and what does Malkovich say? He was a Jap. That's, but that's also, that's after the part where he's flung the, the suitcase away, eh. when his childhood is gone, and that's when things are actually becoming more real. Um, it was a really interesting article. It made me think about the movie in a way I didn't think. And I could definitely see why it was problematic. And let's face it, thinkles make wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> and people don't generally like films. Or I said the, the, the vast audience of films don't want to think about it. They just mm -hmm. want entertainment. Um, and I'm actually, because of this, it made me think a little bit differently about the film. And I'm actually willing to give it a little bit more credit than I originally did. Mm -hmm. I still think that it's, it's a good film. I don't think it's one of his greatest but I think it is a solidly shot. Um, actually, the, the shots are better than the, the film as an entirety. There's some amazing cinematography. Cinema, the in cinematography in this is outstanding. I think it's a great film. I don't think it's one of his greatest, but I think it has no. real power, and I think it. Uh, I'll remember it. I think it's very well yes. done. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's one that should be considered yeah. higher than it's generally remembered. 
Um, speaking of films that are generally considered very well, yeah. next week uh, we're going to be watching this film. But before I get to this, we have a little business to yes, take care of. Yes, we do. Of. As you know, you can check us out at our website, maxmikemovies.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitter, or we have a Facebook page, both maxmikemovies.com. Feel free to write us at us, that's U-S, at MaxMikeMovies.com. And you can listen to uh, our podcasts on the Google Podcast app or the Apple Podcast app. And hey, tell your friends. It would, it would help us it out. Would. We don't make money on this. But we'd love to have more listeners. Uh, if you have any suggestions for future shows, feel free to do that. Uh, we've actually done, I think, two seasons now, or series, uh, that were based on uh, comments made by one of our listeners, or two of our listeners. Yep. Uh, films you want us to see, films you don't want us to see, hey, by all means, hey, you want to say to us, you know, you were wrong about that thing because I say so and you're wrong. Cool. Go ahead. Yeah. We have places on the website. What are we going to watch next week? So, we've been talking about some pretty serious films, Mac. I mean, yeah. uh, The Streetcar Named Desire, yeah. Empire of the Sun. So, I thought we'd go for something that's a little bit more towards the laugh right. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, more of a comedy, yeah. uh, a little happier film. Uh, a film that, you know, I really should have seen, especially if I'm going to talk about American cinema or Western cinema, really cinema at all. This is one of those films that, you know, I should really see. And I know that you like a laugh, a good laugh, as well as I do. So next week, we're going to be watching The Godfather. Right. It, it is a comedy, you, You've never it? seen it, right? No, no, no. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's it's a lighthearted romp through uh, 1940s New York. Sure. Yeah, and, uh, I understand it's got horses in it, doesn't mm -hmm. it? It has horse ponies. It has ponies uh, in it. I, I, there may be ponies. I don't quite remember, but uh, there's certainly I a good the part of a pony. Yes. <laughs> Is it like My Little Pony? It's a very small pony at that point, in some ways. Oh, oh! I look forward to the pony yeah. movie then. Cool. So next oh, week boy. I will find out what's all about this pony movie that everyone's so excited. Yeah, yeah, about. guys, we may be delayed next week when Mike, while well, Mike is in therapy. <laughs> uh, are you saying they'll be crying? No, no, no. Only for those who really like. I want to see the pony movie. I want to see the pony uh, movie. So yeah. from now on, we shall call the Godfather the pony. I movie. know we we really we really won't. Okay, talk to you next week, folks. Pony. <laughs>